This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey guys, quick thing. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only question left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the Guna Tour. Back again with you guys for another episode of our Let's Talk Arsenal series. I'm joined today by two fantastic guests to have a chat about all things Arsenal. I'm joined, first of all, by Andrew, aka Arseblog. How you doing, mate? You good, Joel? I'm good, Tom. How are you? Very good. Very cold, um, but very good uh, indeed. No, lovely stuff. Has it been snowing over there in Ireland as well? Not really snowing, but everything is icy and uh, footpaths mm. are slippy. And when you're out walking the dog, you got to take care that you don't, you know, go arse over tit and uh, do yourself mm. some damage just before Christmas. We don't need that. But no, we've we've avoided snow, thankfully, but it is freezing. Uh, and I've mm. got to play five aside in it tonight. So who's oh, wow. the idiot? <laughs> <laughs> the body warmers I, are going to be out. That's a rhetorical question. I'm the idiot. <laughs> yeah, my my mum rang me a few days ago saying she just slipped over in the snow, and I was, you know, I've, you only got yourself to blame, really, you know, if you're going to go out. So uh, thankfully, mm. no one was around. But uh, yeah, I would have loved to have seen that, but unfortunately, didn't get it on camera. Um, we're also joined by Clive. How you doing, mate? You good? You well? I'm well. He said, picking off mute. Um, yes, I'm good. Uh, freezing, and we have loads of snow here. I live in mm. Bedfordshire, and. Uh, mate it's picturesque so yeah walking up the hills with my dogs well it's been <laughs> i'm not exactly robbing cousins that's all i'm gonna say on my feet <laughs> so, uh, you say picturesque i only think of snow as an inconvenience to be honest I, i'm no, not a big fan of it and i i prefer the winter to yeah. the summer me but snow is just not something i've ever got on with no, it's beautiful up in the hills where I live. It's it's lovely, but it, it's, it does hang around a little bit too long, right? So um, mm. when it comes to yeah. driving, driving to restaurants, which I'll be doing later, then I won't love it so much. So, I yeah. love this. Just the parallels of two evenings we've got: five aside football and restaurants. <laughs> uh, restaurants, yeah. Turkish meal with the wife. Last day at work, I can sit back and celebrate a good year's done. Yeah, so, yeah. some of us have got our priorities right, Clive, and it's you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, I'm going to have a burger tonight out as well. So yes, it's, it's uh, I'm definitely in the right club with this one um lovely stuff uh people who are of course having in quite a lovely time in a warmer place in the world was arsenal over the course of their uh dubai super cup uh, you'll never sing that liverpool um but uh the champions of that tournament after two interesting performances in which i think there were of course some standout 
candidates for who we could really look into. What, what do you make of kind of these mid-season friendlies, Andrew? Because they are, in essence, a distraction like the World Cup is and a, a little bit of a, an annoyance that our title challenge and charge was interrupted by these games. But I look at back at the, the pre-season games and how we won all of them and that led into, obviously, a, a really strong start to the season. So in the same sense, could these be opportunities to build up that momentum again and go into the second two-thirds of the season in the same kind of way? Yeah, I mean, the thing to say is that the our season isn't interrupted because of these games. The season is interrupted because of the World Cup, and we need these games to get ourselves back uh, to match fitness ahead of the start of the season again. So they're not really inconvenient in any way. I think they're useful. I think they're important, obviously, to make sure that the players are, you know, are match fit, they're match sharp. Um, there's, you know, been obviously some changes. There have been players away uh, who have played a lot of football, but then there have been players who just haven't been playing football for the last four or five weeks, which is unusual for this point in a season. So mm-hmm. I think they're really important. You know, you can always look at a friendly game and one of these sort of Dubai, super-duper, Audi-type cup things and, and <laughs> just look down your nose on it a little bit. And Don't you know, lower the yeah. Super Cup to an Audi cup that Spurs have won. You can't do right. that. <laughs> no, I can't. You know, I'm just, I'm just trying to put it in that context. Clearly, mm-hmm. the Super Cup is much superior to the Audi Cup, um, mm. uh, which I, I don't even know if they won it. Did they? They didn't. They couldn't have. It was a trophy. They didn't win it. No, that, that didn't happen. <laughs> Something, something's wrong with the universe. But no, I think the games are useful because we need them. We need to get these guys back on the pitch and we need to get them cohesive and we need even if these games don't mean anything in the grand scheme of things, to sort of uh, build a little bit of momentum again. I think on the basis of the two games that we've seen so far, and I know we're playing Juventus tomorrow, on the basis of these two games, I think you could say that, you know, we have managed to to build a bit of momentum. We've seen some players do well. Some of the football we've been, we've played has been quite nice, nice one-touch stuff. Um, you know, there's an energy to it. Uh, nobody's coasting in these games, which you don't want to see either. So, so I think they've been they've been useful, and um, you know it's not long now until things kick off again. So we play Juventus, and I don't know, maybe they'll have a little sneaky behind closed doors game next week mm. uh, at some point. Who knows? Um, and then you know it's it's all systems go again, and it's like pedal to the metal, uh, pedal to the metal, and and off we go again. Um, you know, there's no room for a slow start even though we're in a great position in the Premier League when when things kick off again so take every ounce of goodness you can get from games like this and uh, and squeeze it into the the West Ham performance and and beyond yeah I would be surprised if we didn't play a game because there's that week isn't there where the Carabao Cups for some reason returns before the Premier League that we might have time to bring players in because there's an expectation that Martinelli um Saka, Ramsdale probably aren't going to have any involvement in, in tomorrow's game. Uh, Tommy Asu is, is a doubt. Apparently, he's been doing some training according to Charles Watts um, this week, but it may come too soon. The only two that we can probably expect to be back that weren't already are Turner and Xhaka, um, which does mean that we'll see the return of our usual starting three in midfield with Odegaard and Partey already having returned. But, Clive, what have you enjoyed most about these friendlies? Any opportunity to watch Arsenal play, of course, is a pleasure for us as we overanalyze every little detail of it, of course. But uh, what have you enjoyed the most of these two games? Yeah, it's like a reminder to what we do well and what we, you know, what we need to do better, really. So I look at it in a, I look at these games and try and put myself in the middle of January. And so there's three or four players that are closer to the first team. And so those players, you know, that first 11 that we could all name, you know, 
those players probably Tierney is is how's he doing? How's Vieira doing, for example? You know, is are we going to get any wide depth? Eddie obviously now is into that first eleven, given what's happened to Gabriel Jesus. So having a close look at those players and see where their levels are, and also reminding yourself of what we do well. And you all know how we play now. That's pretty well burned in our brains. But what are the aspects of how we play that really make us stand out? And it's quite interesting to see the timing and the movements of our players. I think timing is something that's very hard to coach timing. When you arrive and people have got the board, you arrive, you know, and you you're there exactly at the right body angle to make the next pass. That's something Arteta does very, very well. We have that in our group and we've become so used to it. And I watch some of these World Cup games and I watch how the ball's moving around. And then we watch Arsenal's second team play and it just feels so smooth, particularly against the players like Odegaard and Vieira. And it just moves in and out of areas. And I've got to give credit to how we're, how well these players are coached, not just the first 11, but the second 11. That's really improving and that means we're going to create depth Timing cohesion, that's a key thing. And I'll give an example. I said it on the podcast, but what Saliba played for France when he came on in that game against Tunisia. Mm. Let's be honest, watching for the first two, three minutes of that game, he hadn't played for a while. He lacked a bit of rhythm. His normal passing partners weren't there. And I looked at him, I went, Oh, crikey, that's what we we don't have we don't see him like this for Arsenal. He's he's foot perfect, right? He's mm. absolutely foot perfect. And the mistakes he makes are twenty one year old mistakes under extreme pressure. But, but when he's moving with the ball, when he's got time and space, there's nothing to see here. It's just all perfect. So I think we might be underestimating rhythm and what that does to certain people. Some people can have, like Shaka can have time off, come straight back, 8 out of 10. Some people might need the rhythm in their game. And I'm looking at Saliba, I'm thinking, I wonder when we're going to get him back to the, the top player that he is. And rhythm, don't take it for granted, is what I'm trying to say, Tom. It, it could take oh. a little bit of time. Yeah, it was in a sleeper. There's a chance he actually might play in the World Cup final. I don't know if you've yeah, seen the, the news yeah, that Varane yeah. and Canate are both suffering with illness, apparently. Um, and so Upper Meccano and Saliba are the next two you'd imagine in line. So having yeah. just played in that Tunisia defeat, to go then into a World Cup final is, is is going to be one big ask, whether or not, maybe unless he chooses Pavard maybe to come in um, and play. Uh, it's it's an interesting one to see what happens um, with that French. And Pavard hasn't played a minute though, has he really, I don't think. So, um, no. so it'd be very difficult for him to come in. Don't underestimate the, the match fitness, rhythm, whatever you want to call it. When you have it, it just looks so normal. When you don't, you, you can spot it, you know, and... Um, you can see players in that second eleven that are getting to a rhythm of how we're playing, and it's starting like Kieran Tierney, for example. And you're starting to say, "Okay, you're improving, Vieira. You're you're doing something." And I think we may be under. We have the names. Names give you comfort. The big names give you comfort, but they haven't got the rhythm and they haven't got the freshness. They won't give you performance. And I think we must bear that in mind. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one player that is building freshness uh Andrew is in Ketia playing up front and of course he's there because of the absence of I mean Jesus wouldn't of course been there with Brazil's uh participation as Martinelli isn't but he is there and going to be there as we imagine um for the foreseeable future until Jesus returns or unless some other tactical shifts or signings are made in January what have you made of, of his performances and have you noticed differences in these two games maybe from what we saw prior to the World Cup when he was playing in those Europa League fixtures don't 
think too much, to be honest. Um, like I wasn't studying him during these games, so I couldn't mm. sort of break it down and tell you exactly, uh, you know, what he's improved on. It's very difficult in these games anyway against opposition that's, you know, particularly the Leon game. They were they were so bad. Yeah. It's hard to I draw. Did not want to be there. <laughs> no, absolutely not. They were they were enjoying their few weeks off, and now oh, we're gonna go and gonna go and do work again. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Look, I think we we know what Eddie is, and we know where he has improved over the last twelve months, uh, eighteen months. I think outside the penalty box, he is a better player than he was. He's still a, a poacher in the box. Um, that is where he's going to score most of his goals. And you know, I have to commend him for the hard work that he's done to to improve his game in those aspects. And those are aspects of his game that we're going to need now because what Gabriel Jesus brings to this team. You know, just go back to the Chelsea game and and look at what the two centre forwards on each side did that day. And we were terrified that Aubameyang was going to come back and haunt us. Instead, he took eight touches in the game, got hauled off after about an hour. Gabriel Jesus has 63 touches of the ball, didn't score, but the impact he had and, and the way he helped us control that performance was, you know, off the charts. So the question really is, like, can Eddie do some of that? And I think he can do some of it. Um, my concern would be that that when I think of Arsenal at their best this season, when I think about some of our best moments, when I think about some of our best performances, there are things that Gabriel J Jesus does that I I don't think I've ever seen Eddie do. And it's the way he can drop. It's the way that one touch can turn him away from two or three defenders and start a break. It's the sort of cleanness of his touch in and around the box. And I think that is something that Eddie still has to improve on, particularly you know, when he's playing with his back to goal, when he's perhaps moving from the edge of the penalty box towards midfield and a ball comes fizzing into his feet, it bounces too far away from him too often. And I think that's an area where he can he can still do better how much he can improve in that regard. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but clearly there was a lot of faith in him to give him the new contract. Um, opportunity knocked for him last season. I think he, he did better than many people had thought he would do. And I think we're in the same kind of situation now where we have this tremendous fear of being without Gabriel Jesus for very good reasons. We all understand those reasons. And we're worried that maybe Eddie can't step up to the extent that we would like. And this is another opportunity for him to to not necessarily prove us wrong, but to show that he is still developing as a footballer and can contribute to this team. So I think there is going to be a drop-off. Inevitably, there's going to be a drop-off when you lose one of your best players. But, um, you know, I'm hoping that Eddie sees this and is, you know, fully motivated and fully up for these games because it is a huge chance for him. And it's a chance for him, but it's also important for the team as well. Absolutely. And I think that, obviously, of, of all the players that we could have lost, Jesus is up there. You know, people would debate who the most important player in this team is. And that's a credit to how good the whole team is, you know, collectively. But Jesus is massive because of his collaborative efforts with the side. I, I remember talking about when Jesus was first injured and looking at the games that we've got going in between the period that we expect him to be out between two and three months. And I'm looking at it and saying, if you take out Jesus and you put in Nketiah, how, what kind of results do I look at and go, I'm not sure whether or not we're going to be able to get a result because of Jesus not being there. And I look through them and I'm like, I think we can beat 
West Ham with Eddie Nketiah as our striker. I think we can get a good result against Brighton with Eddie Nketiah as our striker. I think we can be potentially a very good Newcastle side at home with Eddie Nketiah as our striker. But it is those other games against Spurs and New- and uh, Manchester United and-, and Manchester City. I say, if I'm saying that I think we can beat Newcastle, I should certainly think we should beat Manchester United based on how different those two teams have been this season. But I, I think there's still plenty of opportunity to pick up so many more points still with Nketiah in instead of him. But Clive... Maybe you can bring me back to reality a bit more and away from my optimism. How are you feeling about Nketiah being the replacement of Jesus through this period? I'm 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 struggling with it a little bit, if I'm honest with you. But <laughs> I shouldn't I shouldn't say I'm struggling. I'm worried about it, and, and I'm worried about it because Jesus has been transformational to to all of us. How we've seen the team, we haven't been him on his own. We've seen a couple of other components come in, like Saliba, obviously. And come in, and, and the maturity of Martinelli and and Saka, they, they just seem more grown up, and so that combination of that front three, Odegaard just improved, and the sort of the maturity of thirty year old Granite Xhaka. I mean, it hasn't just been about Jesus, but we're not stupid, right? Where you you're going to play football tonight, Andrew? And when you walk on the pitch and you look at your striker or the guy who's scored the goals, you're feeling pretty good if he's a good one. If he's the one that hasn't scored since the Battle of Hastings, then I'm sorry, you're not you're not going to win the game, right? So um, you're as good as your forwards. I'm a big believer in that. And your forwards th- put fear into other people. And that Chelsea game was a great example of the ferocity and the tenacity he showed around Thiago. He bullied him. He was all over him. And that, and we followed him over the top and, and won that game at a canter. 1-0 was, a, was flattering Chelsea. So with Eddie now, what do I see? I see a player that's learning really quickly, very quickly. Those those games he played out wide, I think, are very useful for him because we expect our centre-four to rotate into wide areas and have that level of rotation with the front three. So that's good. What I'm looking for is consistency of ball retention. He's got to get better. So Andrew spotted a bit about the ball bouncing off him. I did a little bit. I was watching this close as well. So sometimes he brings the ball in and sometimes he's like a trampoline. Boom, it's gone four yards away. And the reason that happens is he's approaching the ball too quickly in a straight line. If he cuts to an angle and receives it on the angle, his turning ability is really, really good. So what does that mean? Focus earlier on in in the build-up play so you're ready to receive it. You're making your move and you're stopping sooner. So you're not accelerating onto the ball. You've got no chance of controlling it. Setting your feet, setting your legs, bending your legs. Then you can do what you like. You can turn, you can protect. And these are just small details of timing. We spoke about this earlier. Timing. How do you coach timing in build-up? How do you coach pattern play? Really difficult. So his timing of arrival when he receives the ball has got to be better because the ability to turn is there. So how do you become more consistent? If your timing is better and your angles of arriving at the ball are better, you can show your strength, which is to turn and drive, which he's very, very good at, right? So, so yeah, consistency. And that comes with experience. And guess what? The guy who we love is two, three years more experienced, got four league medals in his back pocket and has won a few trophies and feels pretty confident in this environment. Eddie's building that confidence and trust. So, And that's where I am. I am the fan that doesn't quite trust him. But also I have to recognise, if Jesus, if Eddie got injured, we'd be worried about Jesus playing all of the games we have to play. There's no, no one forward can do this on his own. He can't play all the games, all the minutes, all the time. And so we have a depth problem, full stop. 
So my worry is not just about the player's ability, because that will come, he's young enough, this is his moment. But also, how do we make sure, how do we add to the depth that we need to add to? That may be leading on to your next questions, Tom. <laughs> I'm like a pro. <laughs> how do we add to depth? <laughs> Well, I was going to I was going to just add to that, Clive, that, you know, I'd be probably more worried about Eddie playing against West Ham if Bukayo Saka and Gabriel Martinelli were still at the World Cup. Yeah. You know, yeah. because yeah. it's it's then you're 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 having to replace your entire front three, your entire forward line, because, you know, those guys. We could push them maybe to come back a week after they played the final or the, the third or fourth place game. And I think what we've got now, you know, thankfully, um, and I know England fans and Brazil fans won't like me saying it, but as an Irishman, I can do it. You know, I'm glad both those countries got knocked out of the World Cup from an Arsenal perspective, right? <laughs> They're back and they should be available for that West Ham game. So, you know, the the thing about Jesus and, and what he's given us, it's indisputable. Nobody can argue with how well he has, has um, played this season and what he's brought to the team. But, you know, it's not like we are missing our talismanic goal scorer, right? Mm. It's not like an Henri in the sense that, like, without his goals, yeah, you've got other, other players in the team who score the goals, but he is the guy who gets you out of danger or, you know, wins you the points, you know, every second week or every second game. So I'm not trying to take anything away from Gabriel Jesus. I just think that with those other parts around him, with Ben White back, with Partey back, with Xhaka back, with Martinelli and Saka back, I think that eases some of the burden on Eddie. But the wider point about depth is absolutely uh, true because we cannot play him in every single game. We don't have... We don't have a third-choice striker. Our third-choice uh, striker is on loan in France, doing very mm. well for himself, which is great, and it's good for his development, and he needs that as a player. But you know, we don't even have the next guy coming up at, at youth level, really, because they are there's a sort of a, a generational gap, a generate a gap of a generation between you know what's coming next at academy level and what's ready for first-team football at Arsenal. So I do think that when we talk about you know January and what's coming next the depth question is a really, really big one for Mikel Arteta and Edu really is because, you know, it's, I'm not trying to tempt fate or, or anything like that. I'm touching wood here, but what do you do if you've got an injury to, to Eddie? I know we've got some kind of, but then you're in another position where, okay, well move Martinelli to center forward, but Martinelli can't play every game either. You know, it's, it's, it's um, not quite a vicious circle, but it's certainly a big issue for them to think about as the January window opens. Yeah, um, two points on that. The first one being, you know, I look at if we losing Jesus, and we talked about there as a talismanic figure, like is he comparable to, you know, if Spurs lost Kane? I don't think it's as big of an impact to us as it is Spurs losing Kane. I mean, there's an argument. Oh, go on, Clive. Go on. Well, as Andrew was talking there, and he's absolutely right about the goals aspect. But and I, sometimes we, we've all got short memories, right? So what do we enjoy about watching Arsenal this year? And for me, it's the increased control of football matches. And that's come from Saliba coming into the team. We've got that back three almost with White and we, we squeeze up. The extra technical level of Sinchenko's coming in there. I'm, just, I'm going first 11 here, right? Mm -hmm. So we control the football more. Athletically and physically, we're really good. And I think Jesus is a massive part of that controlling aspect. 
you know, knowing when to press, knowing when to spin, knowing when to retain it, to spread the play. And he's given us a level of offensive presence and control. And that's the thing that when you don't have it, you're going to miss it. And it leads to what we call second most goals in the league, I'm guessing, right? Um, goal scored. And because we control the game. So he's a controlling centre forward. Mm. Now, Eddie's quite close to that. Honestly, I looked at the, the stat stuff that come out with James's article this morning, and he's quite close to that. And so for me, when I was watching him in the pre in the pre-season, second pre-season tournament game, yeah, I, I basically was looking at the controlling aspect of his performance. Mm-hmm. How much how much effort does he put in? When does he work hard to go and do things? Andrew's right. You know what? The goals will come if we're controlling where we play. You know, they will come. If we're controlling the ball where we play, the goals will come and they'll go to whoever the, they will go to if they're all fit and sharp and healthy. But can we get control for this player? Retention, control. And I think if he can do that, I think we'll miss Jesus a lot less. However, he's only he's a he's only twenty three year old human being. He can't play ninety minutes of every game for three months. That's no, for sure. Of course. Uh, I mean, you know, I wrote a piece the other day talking about kind of those two games in particular. And one of the things that I picked up on and was interested by is that he and Tierney were seventh highest in terms of link-ups, in terms of a linking pair of passes. Mm. Gabriel Jesus was not even in the top 10 of link-ups and partnerships in the game against Wolves, the last game that we played with Jesus and the team. And that's not to say that Jesus was bad or wasn't collaborative in that game, but I think it's more to show that how much Eddie is trying to get more on the ball, that he is trying to drop in deeper, that he is trying to be a player that kind of receives passes from the defenders, not just from the midfielders. And that shows you where he's moving into those spaces that he can connect with those players. Uh, he also created two key opportunities across the two games, both of them for Reese Nelson. One of them hit the post, and you remember against Leon, the other one was was hit over the bar against Milan. So I think that there is, I think there is a, when it happened in terms of Jesus getting injured, the, the panic was almost equivalent to some, I think, thinking we were going to have to play the rest of our games with 10 men. That, that, that is, I've, genuinely, the reaction was equivalent to that in some senses. And Ketia, I think, is going to come in, and I think he will surprise some people. And I think maybe you'll make some people think back to those games at the end of last season and go, oh, I actually do remember what Nketiah did in those games. And, and, you know, when he's given the opportunity to play with the first team, not in the Europa League, I know he was given regular chances this season and it wasn't always the best. But when he's given the chance to play with the starting eleven in the Premier League, when we dominate games and we create plenty of chances, I think we're going to see goals from him. Watch him actually have a stinker now and make me look silly, of course, but uh, <laughs> that's football. Um it does bring us nicely, as you say, Clive, onto the transfer window. And also, Andrew, you were picking up on the fact that, you know, beyond Eddie, we don't have anyone. I want to talk about Mudrick and maybe I'll part that for a second because it's. I think it's better to discuss now whether you or not you feel as though that the, there's this rhetoric discussed, talked about, suggested, comes up in Q&As all the time, that if we don't sign somebody that can kind of fill this void that is now there with Jesus... Arsenal are wasting the best opportunity of of a title challenge that they've ever had in the last, you know, we all know the amount of time it's been since we've won a title because it's been so long since 2004. Do you agree with that? And do you think if we aren't to sign somebody, I'm not kind of including Mudrick in this because I look to him not as a striker, but certainly as a wide player. If we don't sign that forward, then it is a bit of a missed opportunity. Uh, it's kind of hard to argue against that, you know, because Ooh. we are in such a good position and we've yeah. put ourselves in a fantastic position and we know what's behind us. We know that there is this 
incredibly efficient footballing machine that wins title after title after title behind us. So it's sort of like somehow getting ahead in a race and someone hands you a pair of rocket roller shoes or whatever and you go, I'll take those because that, that might keep me ahead of, you know, Carl Lewis who's coming up behind me. You know, that's kind of what it's like. I think the the, the interesting aspect of this is you, we had the same discussion last January about, mm. well, we've got an opportunity here to really push for a top four place. And our January window was, it's fair to say, underwhelming, right? Mm. I, I wonder, can they do it again? Can they, I mean, they could justify that, you know, January window last year by saying, we're keeping our powder dry for the summer because that means we can bring in Gabriel Jesus, who's the perfect player, right? He's the perfect guy. And we couldn't get him in January. And if we can get him in the summer, it makes sense to sort of stick to a plan. This time around, Jesus is injured. The manager is on record more than once about wanting more firepower in this team, about wanting more goals, about wanting more goal threat. And that's quite a thing to say when you've got a team with Martin Odegaard, Gabriel Jesus, Bakayo Saka, Gabriel Martinelli, Eddie Nketiah, Fabio Vieira in it. That's plenty for some people, but he wants more and we know he wants more. And I do think that where we are, the position we're in, what's still to come, which is well over half a season. In the second half of a season where squad depth, I think, is going to be the biggest uh, teller for pretty much every team in this Premier League. Because there's so much football to play in such a short period of time without the the kind of rest days and recuperation, particularly if you're going, you know, fingers crossed, far in Europe. The amount of depth you have is going to be absolutely crucial to where you finish. And I think Arsenal should look at this January as an opportunity um, to bring in a player. And I think we know they're not going to just bring in anybody, but if they can get the player they want, they should absolutely bring that player in, in this January window. Uh, and I think it would be, it would be disappointing if we couldn't add to the squad. And I forgot to mention in that list of attacking players that I was talking about, there our second highest scorer from last season, Emil Smith Rowe, who will mm. fingers crossed be back and, and, and fit again. So, he wants more. We all want more. Edu and Mikhail were in the US to thrash it out with Stan and Josh and to get the green light <laughs> on a few deals, I hope. So I do hope that we do see something in January because as much as anything, I feel like in some ways it might just give this group of players a boost as well. You know, because if we're feeling the Jesus injury as professional as they are, they'll be feeling it too because they'll know how important he is to this team. And, um, you know, whatever we can do to keep ourselves ahead of that that behemoth of Man City, I think we should really give strong consideration to it. Absolutely. I, for me, Clive, the question always comes when I, you know, and I ask this question to a lot of people that I talk to around, is it a missed opportunity if we don't add someone in that who can offer support and well, not support. I don't like using words like support and backup because I want to use words like competition. You know, I think it was Elliot talking on the last vision about, you know, the need to add, if we're going to add players, they have to be of quality. And whenever someone comes at me saying, well, if we don't sign the striker in this window, you know, what is that saying about the ambition of this club when the opportunity presents itself like it has this season? And the question I always reply is, is who? 
And, you know, realistically, you can't buy another Gabriel Jesus in this window, especially one that is going to be able to come in and have the immediate impact that's got acclimatised the Premier League, you know, that's, that's available for an amount of money that is going to allow you to also then add the winger that we need and potentially the centre midfielder that we need. So if you're, if I give you the keys to the kingdom somewhat within the realms of realism, like how are you looking to approach this window? Well, I after I got over the panic of Jesus getting injured, I I I did panic a little bit. I didn't. I could try to keep it quiet, but you were one of those people that said we'd have ten men for the. No, <laughs> no, 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 I didn't panic like that, and I I went straight into solution mode and thought, okay, what can we do? So we, I felt we were a wide man short. We should have got a wide man in 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 the summer. We didn't get that extra wide man, so we relied very heavily on Marquinhos, who none of us knew, and Nelson, who we weren't sure about. And they've come in and took some wide men minutes there, and we, we managed to just bumble through to that point. So I I felt we were wide man short. So now hopefully we're going to add that wide man, and now we're all make we're doing sums, we're moving Martinelli around, etc. We come to this we come to this point in our season where we think. What, do, what should we do? Now, last January, when we didn't do anything, I was right there supportive because we were still in clean-up mode. We had to get people out of the building that were... We had to pay them to get out of the building during the window to tidy up. And I and I accepted it. And I know some people didn't, but I accepted the fact because I, I felt those people weren't right for the dressing room with the right motivations. And because of that, when they went, our results went bang, upward, through the roof, and we got ourselves into a position that none of us expected to start the season that we should have really executed on, but we didn't. But I accepted it then because I knew it was for the greater good. Jesus comes in, everyone's happy, the club's united, linked top to bottom. We now come to this January. And I, I mean, Andrew, we've had, a, we've had a conversation around this on, on his podcast. He knows where I'm going now, right? We come to this January and the landscape has changed. The teams around us have problems. They have issues. And we are sitting there. Some of those issues we did not perceive. Liverpool, we did not perceive them being, what, 14 points behind us, wherever it is, Tom? Right? Um, Chelsea, we never too sure we're going to get a box of chocolates. Same with Man United. But Liverpool, they, no, none of us saw that coming. You know? Yeah. And, uh, and so let's be honest about this. There's a window of opportunity there that we did not expect. Not only that, this isn't luck where we are. If you look at, and I know you do, Tom, look at the, the data side of things, we are there on merit. This is not a yep. fluke in in all the, the underlying numbers, all the numbers. The big, we are first or second in all of them, right? That really, really matter. And we're going the right direction. So hold on a minute here. You, you have to make business decisions based on what you see with your eyes and based on what the data is showing you and based on your competitive landscape. That has changed. We cannot just sit here and wait for them to catch up. We cannot sit here and wait for Liverpool to change their ownership and Manchester United to change their ownership and blow us out of the water, potentially, like Chelsea are trying to do and have done for the last 20 years. We can't sit around and wait for Newcastle to get their act together, which they are doing very, very quickly. Mm. You know, very, very quickly and smartly and intelligently. You know, a Man City, a Man City, you know, they, they don't make too many mistakes. And when they do, they can afford to make them. Right? So, so we are right here now with this group. And, I, and for me... I wanted a signing anyway, and my my conservative view was look for a smart loan and just don't blow the project up, but look for a smart loan to cover that position and do not worry about hurting people's feelings because I promise you, we lose three, your, your chat boxes will look a lot different 
We pretend that we're all for development, but when it really kicks in and we lose and our weekends are ruined, we start to question decisions. That's what we do. We question decisions. So when there's a window here, which I think I believe there is, I think we should push, we should push on. I really do think we should push on. And there's collateral damage, there's collateral damage, but competition drives performance. And I think we should push on. If that's a loan for a striker, then then fine. Um, I'm finding players all the time, Tom. The kid that come on for France. The question is who? The kid that come on for France late in the game, plays for Eintracht Frankfurt, scored yes. a goal in the semi-final, in the semi-final. I did not know him until he scored that goal. And you look at what's his name again, Tom? Remember him? Come on, mate. Barney. No, is it? Um, no. Let me find it. Colo uh, Umani. Umani. Yes, yes, that's right. So I've been looking at looking at Lindstrom, who plays for the same team. Um, yeah. Looking at Lindstrom, didn't notice this guy. How did I miss him? How did I miss him? I mean, that's a, that is the type of player that we should be should be looking at. You know, so there are always players. That player I did not know five days ago. So no, no question about it. You know. Mudrick, we've all seen him come in the end of last season. But yeah, for me, don't be afraid to push the button. If that means someone like Eddie and Balogun fall off, they fall away, then that's what we do. We must be, we must focus on raising the standards because all these teams are going to do exactly the same for me. They're going to raise their standards. At this moment in time, there's a little bit of uncertainty in some of those teams. So can we walk through the open door? Hmm. It is that question of finding the who, the how, um, and putting it all together. Um, because, and you know, the final part of the transfer window I want to ask before we go on to the some of the more <laughs> football politics, if you will, and the creation of more tournaments, etc., uh, is is the main guy that we're linked with, um, and that is Mikhailo Mudrik, Andrew, who. I think you know beyond six months ago, I became aware of him at the same time as Clive. Me and Clive talk. Of, talked about that the game against Scotland um, that he came on for Ukraine to make his international debut. We were all watching that game because of Zinchenko, because we were at that point very much linked to him. And this guy comes on for 23 minutes. Uh, I revisited it the other day uh, to go back through and, and remind myself of that game. We see him turn away from players, explosive pace. Ukraine are winning the game by this point, 2-1. And they bring this guy on to basically, you know, exploit the spaces that are there in behind and try and hit them on the counter. And there are games this season I look at, like the Southampton game where we went 1-0 up, we're 1-0 up at half time, and you're thinking we need to try and kill this game off. We don't do that and we drop points. And there's probably going to be more games like that, especially without Jesus in the team in the second half of the season. And there's no doubt that this young guy, Mudrik, has quality. But the, the big question with Mudrik goes back to the price tag and publicly we're told 100 million euros is what they want now realistically no one's paying that for Mudrik not you know us not the the most you know well-backed teams in the world aren't paying 100 million for Mudrik so it's most likely they're going to accept a lower fee but where do you stand on on where Arsenal have to be real and objective and as Clive was talking about there we also pushing the boat out and having to upset maybe a few people with what they do to try and get the players they want. I think the thing, the Mudrick, I find this whole situation quite interesting because one of our best players this season is Gabriel Martinelli, who plays on the left and has been absolutely amazing and is on record as saying that that's his favourite position. You know, he likes playing there as much as we all have this, like, ooh, we can repurpose him as the all-action centre forward. You know, he likes where he's playing, right? So you've got to take that into account a little bit. Smith Rowe's best football for Arsenal has basically come down the left-hand side when he's been a starter. 
and then we've got a left winger coming in, right? And no, but he's so sensible, isn't he? He's just so sensible. Uh, he does this to me all the time. What he's saying is he's spot on, but I'm so yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not saying don't get him, right? Because I think I think this is uh, what's interesting about this, and I wrote about this a little bit on the blog today, is that you know when Arsenal set their sights on a player, and when a player, um, you know. You, we all trust what David Ornstein tells us. If David tells us that this guy is the priority for, for Arsenal, then we believe that information, right? Mm. If he is that to Mikel Arteta and Edu, they've got a plan for him. They've got a plan to bring him into this team. Yeah. What I thought was quite interesting is that when you look at some of the uh, players we brought in in the last 12, 18 months, Vieira, Ben White, Takahiro Tamiyasu, even Zinchenko to an extent, these there's a versatility to these players that I think, perhaps I'm just wildly guessing here, that they feel they could possibly find in Mudrick. And for all the qualities that this team has, uh, and we've got some good players, and we've got some very good players, and we've got some pretty fast players, we don't have the guy who scares the absolute shit out of defenders because of the the, the speed he can reach on the pitch. Mm -hmm. And I think Mudrick gives us that. This is like a little Billy Whiz. You know, he can run in behind. He can, he can terrorize defenses. So I do wonder if maybe there is something about what they see in Mudrick that we're not yet aware of, where they might play him. Because we look at him, we go, well, he's a left winger. Is he going to play ahead of Martinelli? Maybe not. Is he going to play ahead of Smith-Rowe? Maybe not. So what's the point? But if they're targeting him and they think he's worth spending all this time on, I feel confident that they have a plan for him. And it may well be just playing down the left-hand side. Um, but I suspect it might be a little more, a little more sophisticated than that. What exactly it is, I don't quite know. Coming to the point of price, of course, hundred million is not um, is not where it should be. Uh, Brentford had twenty five million agreed for him last summer. He's done well since then, but uh, uh, you know not sufficiently well to have quadrupled his price. Shakhtar might say, "Well, external factors. Look at what Man United paid for Anthony." Yeah, and we turn around and say, "Well, just because they're stupid doesn't mean we should be stupid too." So it's finding the balance in the price based on the improvement that he's made in these six months since he didn't go to Brentford. And when it comes right down to it, I, I, I feel like if Arsenal are prepared to push the boat out for this player, if they're prepared to pay even, let's say, double what Brentford had agreed last summer, I trust their judgment. I trust their judgment when it comes to incoming deals now because I don't think they sign anyone without really giving serious thought to what they can do for the team, what they can do for the squad, how they can improve the team. And, you know, they're not going to sign a guy who's just going to be third choice left winger. That is not going to happen. So if they go for it, I'm all in on, on this guy, you know? Yeah. And, and that is always the justification that, that comes with transfers that arrive at the club because they've, they've given us that reason to trust them. And, 
yes, there's players I look back on that maybe your Alex Runnisons of this world weren't always the best, but I think there were certainly reasons behind why we did those deals and why they didn't necessarily work out. You know, even Tavares, who came in last summer, there's no way that Arsenal were selling this guy for less than seven million quids. Like, mm. Arsenal will make profit on him. I expect Arsenal might even make profit on Sambi Lukonga, fingers crossed. I know he costs us a bit more, 15 to 17 million, I think it was at the time. But I still think we'll make profit on him. And that's that was the big question mark around there, dude. Like, I recognise that he's quite good at finding players and also getting deals done. But it was the selling part. And I think that we are buying players that are going to help us improve on that. And we're also bringing players through in the youth academy. I think you're going to see us make a pretty penny uh, on some of them as well that, unfortunately, because of just pure competition into the first team, won't get that chance. Uh, final transfer point I want to talk to you, Clive, about because I, had, I don't know if you watched this morning's show. I know you tune in for a few of them. But... Uh, this morning it got not heated, but there was a lot of back and forth about Yuri Tielemans. Um, because he obviously is a target of the club. We know this. There are, you know, I was told by someone I, I very much trust that Edu was willing to wait until the following summer to get a, get him on a free. But obviously that was in the summer and things have gone down a certain pathway this this season, as we've talked about. If the, the big question, the big kind of resistance from I think a lot of fans are is they look at him for Leicester and they've looked at him for Belgium in the World Cup and thought. I'm not sure this guy's good enough. Um, they're not impressed with his performances. We've had chats in the summer, I remember, talking about Tielemans. And we deviated a bit about where you think that he could cover for us, where you think he could play for us. And I think there's still some discrepancies there. But I, I feel like I'd be doing the listeners a disservice if I didn't ask you about the Tielemans situation. So tell me how you're feeling about him, if we are indeed still in for a midfielder, if that's possible, of kind of accelerating that potential free move to this winter. Right, so I've started to think a little bit differently about players and their positions, right? So to follow on what Andrew's talk about Mudrick, he, he's absolutely bang on about that. And I stopped thinking to myself now, okay, he can play left, he can play here. What, is, what does he do? He's almost like a he's almost like a number 10 that plays wide. You know, he's got those skills. And so when you've got somebody who can play inside and out, then I, you know what, club, you, you saw out. You, where does Jao Felix play? If I ask you that, Tom, everywhere doesn't really matter, does it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it doesn't really matter. I yeah. think we have to maybe change our mindsets. But the bit about pace, when we lose Martinelli and Saka late in games, when they get tired, we have no pace to bring on, and we can now bring on pace in the five sub world. I love this idea. We can take games away from people late on. Mm. Now with Tielemans, I my ideal of centre midfielder is well known to the Western world. Tielemans is not this. Right, so, but then what is he again? What is he? Is he a, is he a, is he a right eight? Is he a left eight? Is he a six? Is he a double six? And I come back to it What's again. A double six. I don't know what a double six is. Okay, a double six. When you have a when you have a four two three one, a stick on double six side by side, like okay, Shaka and El Nelly, where they were double sixes in, in back in the day, right? That's cool. how you I'm that's how you. you define them. So he's played double six with Indeedy at Leicester for a while, and he has been six when Indeedy was injured, which is quite regular. So I look at him, a lot of his best goals come from the right-hand side of the pitch and in the right-eight slot. I haven't seen many left-eight clips. I think, oh, stop stop beating yourself up. What does he do? So he's very intelligent on when to press because he knows he has to be intelligent when to press because he can't run. Right? So he's very intelligent when he, when, he, when he engages. When you play the ball through him, he can take it on a half turn and, and roll around. He's got a nice no-touch turn around the corner. He can pass both sides, big diags, and he can shoot from the edge of the box. And so I say to myself, the way I look at Arsenal now, it's almost like a, 
a back five and a front five. Now, the question is, where does he fit into our team? Is he in the back five in the Thomas party sitting in the middle? Right, which I don't think any of us really see him as that player potentially, right? Or is he in the front five, one of those slots, the two eight slots there, which he potentially could be? Now, I'm not. I'm just not quite sure of our of our need for him. However, yeah. if we were to loan Sambi Conga to newly promoted Burnley for next season, and you bring in Tielemans into our team, into our squad, sorry then we are better for that. We're talking about a 25-year-old with Premier League experience and we brought him in for nothing. We are better for that. We are boosting the price of Sam Conga elsewhere in the Premier League. Or you know, I, I use Burnley because that's an obvious link there. Yeah. Right. So within the Premier League, and we are, can then recycle him and make money for the squad to make other signings. So that's, that's the scenario that I've invented in my mind for this player. Right. Because otherwise, I'm not 100% sure that's what we what we need, because I really do think Vieira is going to hit this squad quite quickly, and be a very very good player. And I'm wondering where does Tielemans fit? And there are better six options for me, loan yeah. sixes, than Tielemans. So I see it as a contractual opportunity. I see it as a squad upgrade opportunity, but I don't see it as a desperate need. Does that make mm. sense? Yeah, uh, I, I'd feel unfair if I didn't, Andrew, give you the opportunity to, to mention Tillemans. So a quick word of where you kind of sit. And has it now been changed by Clive convincing me otherwise? No, I mean, what Clive says makes a lot of sense. And I don't really see us going for a central midfielder in January, to be honest. I'm, I'm not even well, well, yeah. You know, I think I think the party situation... Um, you know, and our, our how good he is in that position is something that worries people because what do we do when we don't have him? But I just think at the moment where we have a squad where we, we have Partey, we have Lakonga, we have El Neni, we have uh, Vieira, we have Martin Odegaard, we also have Emile Smith Rowe to come back. And I would not rule out Emile Smith Rowe being more central than wide when he does come back. So I see exactly what Clive is saying. And I think if you do get him in January, you're going to pay X amount of millions. And I think only if you're really desperate do you pay £10 million for a player in January that you can get for free yeah. in yeah. June. You know? And people will go, well, it's only £10 million. But, you know, count out no £10 money. million. Pounds. That's a lot of money. That is a lot of money. So, you know, I don't see anything happening with Tielemans in January unless there's an injury crisis or something like that. Lovely stuff. Uh, one more question each and we're done. Uh, and that question takes in a very different direction from what we've been talking about. But uh, as is with FIFA, we often often go in, in other directions kind of uh, rather, you know, quickly. Uh, Clive, I'll start with you on this one. Um, Gianni Infantino announcing today that from 2025, um, and anyone can correct me if I get any of this info wrong, that they're planning on a 32-team club World Cup. Um, the details are still pretty sparse on it. Um, of course, there was that they've always had the Club World Cup, but it's been in a very different format with the winners of each of the um, continental club competitions facing off against one another. All this strikes to me is is another. It's just more more for more football, less rest for players. Um, and the you know the the monetary exploitation of the game. So just your raw reactions to this. 
my raw reaction is we're, we're worried about our players enough as it is, aren't we? And their, and their welfare. And, and basically, it's the same pool of players we're calling on, right? So <laughs> we still got FA Cup replays, for goodness sake, this year. We, <laughs> yeah. we brought them back. We still carry on double leg semi finals. Uh, we, yeah. we brought them back. And so this is for me, I haven't read too much on it, but I did. They'll talk about a women's club World Cup yeah. as well, isn't there? Right. Yeah. So, and on the back of losing. Vivian Miedemar last night in the in the women's game against Lyon. And they're talking about load, player load. I was talking to Tim this morning offline. We were talking about, you know, do, we, do we even know the extremities of what the women's body can take in these scenarios? We just put them into men-type schedules and expecting mm-hmm. them to, to deal with it. We don't know. There's so many crucial injuries in that sport. So what is happening here? We are... I, will, I say to Andrew before, I look at a player's career as almost like dog years. If you lose a year, that's that's big. That's big part of your career. It's a big part of your life. We can't just accept a cruise ship like that. We can't accept these big injuries. Player welfare is everything. And all this is for me is FIFA fighting UEFA. Letting everyone know who the daddy is. We're the daddy. We own the world game. We'll create a world game. Because your little Champions League is getting a bit too popular. It's a bit too popular and it led to a potential Super League and it's getting a bit too popular. It's too much money and too many people are holding that up as, as a, a banner, which is very close to the World Cup. You know, so what we need to do is to pull these people in, create competitions, create finance, create revenue that pull these people away from the Champions League in particular because all the best players are coming to Europe and many of them are coming to the Premier League. And when you get that funnel of talent, FIFA are going to react and say, no, let's spread this out. And I, but all I see is one set of football players. And back to what I said earlier, you might see the names on the team sheet, but they don't run very well. They can't perform very well. It doesn't matter. The names just give you comfort. The best times we watch Arsenal is when we're sharp, when we're fresh, when we're energetic, and the quality of the games are really, really high. Those are the games we remember, not the ones when we're carrying fatigue bodies around. I can only see this game worse if someone steps in. Well said. Um, Andrew, a comment. Uh, I, I said to you this off air, but I want to read it for the benefit of those listening as well. Uh, when the European Super League was being discussed and announced uh, by the, the, the clubs that were involved in it, he said, uh, Infantino, we can only strongly disapprove the creation of the Super League, a Super League which is a closed shop, which is a breakaway from the current institutions, from the leagues, from the associations, from UEFA and from FIFA. There is a lot to throw away from the short-term financial gain of some. They need to reflect and they need to assume responsibility. Where is this not hypocrisy? <laughs> it's a simple question, but expand. Um, look, I think... A lot of what FIFA have done in the last number of years has been in reaction to the increased quality of the club game. That there was a time where international football was the pinnacle of the game. You know, the World Cup was the best football you would ever see, or at least it was perceived that way. But as money came into the game and as talent increased and as as the big leagues got better and we saw these players and and incredible teams, you know, across Europe and and beyond. I think a lot of what FIFA have done has been reactive to that because they're afraid that, you know, their own product, if you like, will be impacted. And the irony of this is that FIFA as an organization is tasked with the safeguarding of, of football, the development of football. But what they're not doing in any way is safeguarding 
the players who play the game. And I know that for some people, like sympathy will be in short supply. These guys get paid a lot of money. They have an incredible lifestyle. They get to play football for a living. I mean, I get it. We all know that. But, you know, earning a lot of money does not make you Superman. It does not give you magical powers to uh, avoid physical injury or mental health injuries or burnout or any of those kinds of things. And ultimately, if you ask players to play uh, an 11 and a half month season, which is basically where we're going to end up, the quality of football will be impacted. The quality of the games will be impacted. Careers will be shortened. You will find that players will get to their maybe early 30s or get to 30 and say, you know what, I can't do this anymore on a more regular basis. Or they'll go and play in sort of the, you know, the slightly lower leagues or whatever. So we're, we're none of this is any good for anybody except for FIFA. It's a money grab. Um, there is no prestige to this. There's no sporting justification for this. There is no consideration whatsoever about uh, the physical impact on players, not to mention, you know, what are fans supposed to do or what are fans, uh, you know, as football fans, we're being asked all the time to find more money for for supporting our clubs, whether it's another competition that we're in. So are you going to play in the club world cup and it's going to be held in, I don't know, Saudi Arabia, or it might be held in, I don't know where it could be in Australia or it could be in the U S or it could be, you know, um, in, in Japan or whatever it is, you know, football fans want to be involved with their football clubs. And that means putting your hand in your pocket again, to pay for flights, to pay for hotels, to pay for spending money, you know, and ultimately the beneficiaries of that are, are FIFA and their sponsors and the people that prop up this uh, horrendous autocratic uh, organization led by a sociopath in Gianni Infantino. And um, yeah, I've gotten no time for this whatsoever. I think it's, I think it's pretty terrible. And I hope that, you know, perhaps one of the player unions or, or FIFA Pro, you know, who, who stick up for players will become stronger when they talk about these kinds of things. Because ultimately, you know, these these guys, as much as we love them and put them on pedestals and everything else, they are human and they will suffer if they don't get at least some rest, you know, from, from the physical... Um, what they're being put through, you know, top level football more than ever before is about, you know, talent, about skill, but it's also about endurance. And it's about, it's about, um, you know, huge physical effort every time you go and play a game. You know, we all go crazy when a guy, well, look at him, he didn't track back once in a game and we go to town on them, right? <laughs> we do. And that's, a, you know, that's what we are. Uh, that's what we want as football fans. But, mm. you know, let's be realistic. You, you've got to, you've, got to ensure that players schedule allows them some time to rest physically and mentally and this won't help that at all no. well said both really well covered on the topic um, can i just say what i'm, I'm gonna leave a, an open question here right if i'm if i'm an owner or a chairman or somebody that's paying out for all the players they own today all the assets that Arsenal own for example and this is landed in my inbox these expansion competitions I'll be thinking, you know what? I need to protect my club. I need to protect my players. There will be there will be there will be discussions about countries leaving FIFA. The Super League discussion will come back again. I promise mm -hmm. you. Why wouldn't it? 
we have to create something they can control. If you take control away from people that are paying out these monies, that are buying these clubs for billions of pounds, and you're you're taking away the control of their assets, you watch this space. Watch this space. This is not going to continue as like this. It's going to change. Something's going to change in this couple of years. Mm. Mm, absolutely. I look forward to seeing hopefully some power put into the back of the clubs because it, it's it's needed. Um, I think that brings a nice end to today's show. Thank you so much, everybody that's listened. Uh, I really appreciate your time. Uh, do drop a like and subscribe if you're new. Um, but thank you most of all, of course, to my guest, Andrew. Thank you so much for taking the time this afternoon to come on and have a chat. Really appreciate it. Tell people Pleasure where they can find voice. you. Oh, arse blog, just there. That's it. Just there. Just find just it. I get a mug. I've, my, I haven't got my mug in the room, but I do have a mug. Um, have you got one oh, near you? Does advertise? No, it's, it's downstairs. It's, it's downstairs. downstairs. Oh, Lisa, thank you. Thank you. I should say to everybody, um, you know, who did buy a mug, we'll give you a give you a final tally on the donation we're going to make, which is going to be pretty significant, I think. So, um, thank you to everyone who bought a mug, and uh, thank you, Tom, for buying yours. My pleasure. Uh, and I've also bought a charity version of Clive's glasses. Uh, they're also going to be going on sale, obviously. <laughs> I've got loads of them. <laughs> I've got loads of them. Thanks, mate. Really appreciate your time. Tell people where no they can problem. find you. Yeah, I'm uh, on the Arsenal Vision. Every now and again, I have a chat with Andrew when he, when he asked me. <laughs> so, yeah, I need to put my at thing there, didn't I? I just realized that. I don't yeah, at Clive PAFC is, yeah, is where you can I'm find on. Clive. Um, you see, it's just we're so about the image, us two. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> We've got our Twitter in there as long as Twitter's, you know, for the next couple of weeks before Twitter, you know, just explodes, disintegrates yeah. into a, an internet chasm. We're all looking, <laughs> what was that? it's all about booing now um lovely stuff thank you everybody that's listened uh, i'll be back of course tomorrow morning bright and early at 8am with all the latest arsenal news rounded up if you've got any thoughts and feelings about today's comments and topics please do leave them down in the comment section below i'd love to hear them and read through them i always try to do my best to reply to them as i can unless you're mean then i don't um but thank you for listening and tuning in i will see you again very soon and as always up the arsenal It's the 90 plus minute. All your mates around and you've got a McNuggets share box ready to go and you know a late winner's coming. Your mates already got booked for a double dip in and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfection. Order now on the McDonald's app for your delivery. You in? At participating restaurants 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Even on a budget, Quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.